This episode of To The Point is sponsored by Tarsus. Tarsus Pharmaceuticals applies proven science and new technology to revolutionize treatment for patients, starting with eye care. Tarsus is advancing its pipeline to address several diseases with high unmet need across a range of therapeutic categories, including eye care, dermatology, and infectious disease prevention. Tarsus is proud to announce that Xdemvi Lotolaner Ophthalmic Solution 0.25% is now available to prescribe. Ocular surface disease. It's complex, chronic, and progressive, but rife with opportunity for the enterprising optometrist. The mission of this podcast is to make this condition more understandable and accessible to those interested and specializing in it. So let's get to the point. Welcome to another episode of the To The Point podcast. My name is Jackie Garlick, and I am joined by my co-host, Leslie O'Dell. And we have a very special guest with us that Leslie knows very well. So Leslie, I'm going to let you introduce Heather. Well, what a you know treat to have um, actually a longtime friend and coworker join us on the podcast. So Heather Bollinger has been part of my optometric career, I think, since I started practicing optometry. Um, so I met her at my first um, job in an in an in integrated practice setting, and her span in eye care has actually been over twenty years. She started um, in her high school years at the front desk in a in a practice and was an optician. Um, when I met her, she was a technician in, in the practice I was working. And I was extremely excited when I opened my doors a couple of years ago and posted a job on Facebook of all places. And Heather reached out to me and said that she actually was looking for a career change. And so I've had Heather um, now working really closely with me um, since November of 2020, um, and we've been really working hard to have a dry eye specialty practice within our medical-focused optometric setting. So, Heather, thank you for you know being on the hot seat, if you will. <laughs> thank you for having me. Um, so, I've been coaching Heather through dry eye um, conversations with patients since we've opened the doors, like I was saying, and she herself is has been a great resource because she is a dry eye sufferer herself. She's been through different treatments, different eye drops, and actually even is a Sjogren's patient. So her message to patients is really genuine. Um, and as the practice has grown for me, I'm working on transitioning Heather into this um, patient coordinator, which as we've talked to so many doctors on the podcast, that has been so successful for them growing their dry eye practices, having that in-house kind of go-to person that can talk to your patients about the treatments or, you know, adherence to different at-home therapies. And so as part of that um, transition, I said, what better resource than to listen in to the, to the past to the point podcast. And so with that, she had a lot of great questions and I thought, why not have her on and you know, really kind of pick our brains from a technician and a patient standpoint. Yeah, that's perfect. And I also, when, when we talked about having Heather on, I was like, she would actually be a great person to talk about um, things that we as doctors are missing in teaching our technicians certain things. If we really want to have a patient 
care coordinator in the dry eye specialty practice, like what can we do to set that person up for success? And what are some of the gaps in you know, whether it be education or training that you're seeing, Heather, from, from your side or tips that we could be better successful? So um, Leslie, do you want to start? Should we start with just um, kind of an opening, like the que- any questions that, that um, we kind of talked about previously or... Where do you want to start? Yeah, well, I would say let's just have Heather kind of jump in and see what, what's on her mind. So I guess my first question would be a lot of times patients come in and they say that, oh, I have a brooder mask at home. Like I got it online or someone else told me to do that. But I know in our practice, we tend to go with derm mask or eye eco masks. So do you have a preference? And if so, what is your preference and why? Well, so I do have a preference, but that is maybe even based on some old science that goes back to some um, Don Korb, um, either Academy or Arvo abstract that was testing certain masks um, and noticing inconsistencies in heating patterns. And so with IECO, I saw some good research that showed really consistent heating patterns. And that was kind of why I started trusting that brand for my patients. The other reason I personally like the Derm mask, like some of the other entry masks, it allows for hot and cold. So occasionally in my dry eye patients, um, whether there might be rosacea flaring or um, allergy, I like to have that cold option. Um, And it's nice when it's in one mask, it saves a little bit of, um, you know, money to the patient, really. I would say I haven't given it this much thought, to be honest with you. I personally have brooder masks in my office that I'll, you know, sell to patients that need them. Um, But I, that's a good point. I mean, I did know that the derm mask does do a hot and cold, which is kind of a nice thing. But I have I, um, I I don't really have a strong preference on the particular mask type. I mean, I use Bruder, but I if someone said I want to use Derm, I would say, okay. Um, so I will just add a couple of thoughts and maybe you, you might guide your patients away from this, but these USB plug-in masks, I really have been deterring patients from for fear of, you know, that dry heat being a little bit too intense um, and again, risk for injury. Um, and then my other call out was would be just when you're when you're thinking about heat masks, you want to be thinking your about mild, moderate, advanced MGD, and sometimes derm or brooder or any other kind of I call them entry level masks, the beaded ones that heat up in the microwave. They might just not be enough for your patient because six to ten minutes of heat might might not get them where you need them to be. And when you're looking at things like the Tranquil XL. Um, or a few other um, tier um, tier restore. Is that what it's called, Jackie? Yeah, tier restore. Yep. yep. So those masks allow for 15 or 20 minutes. And Heather, we've actually demoed tier restore in the office. It was kind of the Superman looking mask with the open eye um, and the heat goes around the eyes. Um, so I think that having that short duration option for patients and then a longer duration option is also really good. Leslie, that's a good point. So I think part of the reason um, I haven't, you know, I certainly recommend warm compresses for patients, but I find a lot of the time, I need something else. You know, it's nice to heat up the glands and to soften that oil, but like, what are we doing for actually getting that thicker oil out of there? And it it is just a warm compress enough. So a lot of times I'm doing more in-office treatments and then using that as kind of maintenance at home. But um, Leslie, what are your gripes with the USB 
um, eye mask because I certainly have a lot of patients where I feel like that actually increases compliance for me for patients because they plug that in right next to their bed. Once they're in bed, they're not getting up to go microwave an eye mask. So they just end up not doing it. But the USB seems to be more attractive in that way because it can be just right by their bedside and they can turn it on and they have timers on them. But what, what, what don't you like about these? Well, they were like a big thing. I think I saw them a couple of years ago in the Sharper Image catalog and I thought, oh, great, this is going to be everyone's Christmas gift and I'm going to have to be worried about that. But really, it's just duration of heat and, and I think dry heat. So it can get warmer than you need. Um, and um, and then also just not having moist heat doesn't help as much with helping to liquefy the mybum. I think what's going to be exciting is what what actually IECO is already kind of um, looking, has already looked into, but I think that you're going to see over the next, you know, several months to years, um, the introduction of vibration with this longer duration heat. So there is Tranquil Vibes. And I know another company, iDetect, is kind of working on some kind of vibrating heat. So I think that's going to be makes sense if you're warming something up and you're also kind of like jostling it a little bit that maybe it's going to secrete better. Heather, what do you think that patients actually tell you about heat masks? Because we tell them to use them and really it's like flossing your teeth. If you aren't doing it, we're not going to really know that, right? You could warm up your meibomian glands the night before you come into me or the week before. Um, just like maybe you floss your teeth right before you go to the dentist if you're not an, a habitual flosser. But, um, you know, what do patients tell you and what are the challenges that you hear from that side, you know, as you're dealing with the, the dry eye patient? So I feel like it's almost split. Patients either come in and they say, oh, you know, I got that, but I didn't use it yet. Or, I used it, but I forget to use it. So I, I might've done it three times in the last three weeks or patients are like, oh, I love that. I do it every night and you know, it really makes a difference. And so it, I almost feel like it's that split 50, 50, you know, they either can't get into that routine or they get into using that and they don't miss using it because of the way it makes them feel. One other call out before we get to another one of her questions that I wanted to to say that Heather's so good at is she she actually comes and tells me about the patient oftentimes before I go in to see the patient and she'll say, well, they aren't doing anything that you told them to be doing. <laughs> um, so they're not feeling X, Y, or Z, but they're also not doing these things. So I think hopefully while you're you know working with the patient and writing that down, you're also kind of giving them that encouragement. Well, I, I don't know what that conversation sounds like because I'm never in the room at that point. <laughs> no, sometimes, I mean, if, if a patient, you know, says, oh, this is, this is going to be, you know, a lot to remember, you know, I will say to people, I know it takes a little bit of time to kind of get, you know, you, you have your regular routine and then we're asking you to add something else to it. So, you know, it's going to take some getting used to, you might have to find the right time of day to, use your omegas or, you know, whatever it is that we're asking them to do. Um, but like with the derm mask, you know, I have a derm mask. My mother has one and she absolutely loves it now. And so, you know, I will say to them, I really like this. The only downfall is that I fall asleep when I put it on, <laughs> you know, just because 
you don't always take the time to sit down for five to 10 minutes, you know, at the end of your day or in the middle of your day. And so I do tend to fall asleep. And just so that patients know that might happen to them too. You know, so I, I think it's just, you know, listening to what they say when you're telling them about the things that you want them to do or that the doctor is recommending that they do just to kind of see how you can put a positive spin on that for them so that they aren't overwhelmed. I'm like trying to look up this USB powered mask, Leslie, because I'm, this is like a great example. There, there's, there is one that I feel like you would approve of and I'm going to find it and then I'm going to send it to you because this, like this fifth, this split that you're getting of like patients doing the mask and not doing the mask. I feel like if you can make it easier to get like, and say like, Listen, just put it by your nightstand. It's so lovely. Just like fall asleep with this mask on you. It's great with the one that has the, the timer with it. I can't remember if it has some sort of hydration situation, but I'm going to find one and you're going to approve. All right. You show that to me. But you're right. Cause we occasionally do run it. You know, the patients like I'm in my bedroom, the microwaves downstairs. I hear that. Or we randomly have patients that don't have microwaves. Oh yeah. I have that also, which you can get those little snap ones that will heat up, but it does, that does also require some extra work. I mean, the tear restore one is that one as well. That one is like a snap, no microwave needed one, but yeah. Yeah. The warm compress. Good idea. What else do you got, Heather? What influences your treatment choices, such as starting a patient on Zydra, Restasis, Sequa, or even Tirvaya? <laughs> I was telling her, Jackie, how we probably, nobody has an answer to this, right? It's probably like if she worked in your office versus mine, there would be different practice patterns. And that's where, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to think, to stop and think about, okay, who am I using some of these medications on as first line. So I'll let you go first. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I, um, I do tend myself to lean more towards a Zydra or a Sequa as um, a first line therapy. But what I will tell you is that unfortunately, the insurance company is the one that's deciding what medication I'm starting with, because I will call in or send in, um, you know, a prescription for Zydra and they'll say, can't have it, but she, he or she could have this instead. And so un unfortunately I am not the person that's always deciding what that first line treatment is, but it, it's not that common that I'll start with a Tirvaya as a first line, you know, pharmaceutical treatment for a patient. Although I did do that. Um, I did do that today for a patient and, you know, Usually I'm adding that on if I'm not getting the result that I want, because a Tirvaya, for example, is doing a totally different mechanism of action than any of the other eye drops. And so it's not like you're doing twice of the same thing. Like we've got two different mechanisms of action happening. And in my experience, I feel like I'm sitting, I'm seeing more results in my, um, almost like my Sjogren's or more autoimmune patients, I'm finding Tirvaya has a better response than my patients that are my, more meibomian gland in nature. That's, um, you know, certainly experience and no science behind that. But Leslie, I'd be interested to hear what you're finding. Well, I do think about Sjogren's and actually Heather had a long history on Restasis and we switched her to Sequa this year. Um, and I don't think you've started Tirvaya yet, but we probably should work on that too, just to no. see what you had mentioned that the other week. Yeah. 
Um, so remind me of that tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so for her, I feel like in, in her situation or in my patients with Sjogren's syndrome, I really do think about sequa and restasis cyclosporin because I want to protect the lacrimal gland. And there's a lot of you know, science there that tells me if I have a chronic autoimmune condition, I'm going to be more impactful at the level of the lacrimal gland with those medications. Um, so I kind of look for uh, underlying disease, but I, I think we, a lot of our tier via starts have been add-ons like you said, but then I have a few younger patients that I just started there because I thought, you know, why not start just trying to reduce, um, some inflammation by increasing natural tear production. And, and I think surprisingly, I don't know what patients have say to you about tear via Heather, because you know, that one sometimes might be more surprising to a patient when we're talking about it. But as you see them back, do they find it weird that we're talking about their nose, but we're really in the business of the eyes? No. And actually I feel like since we've started, the more patients we've put on it, the less patients have complained about, like, I don't remember the last time I had somebody say, oh, it makes me sneeze or any of those initial side effects that patients were coming in and saying. Now, when I say, you know, we brought, we brought you back because we want to see how you're doing. And we started, you know, we recommended that you do this twice a day since we saw you last. And, you know, how are you doing? And, you know, Everybody seems to be doing well. They're remembering to take the medication, which is a huge part of what makes things better for them. With um, Tirvaya, I'm also kind of seeing that, um, I'll even use the patient that I saw today who was like, I'm glad you told me that there was sneezing that was going to happen because I definitely was sneezing a lot. But even now that's not been as bad. And this is like three weeks on Tirvaya, you know, so I think that that does subside for patients too, but um yeah, I'm still, you know, Tirvaya is still sort of new to the space. And I think we're all still kind of figuring where can we use this as a first line therapy for patients? I think we're all sort of learning that in our clinics and with our patients on, uh, you know, when's the, the better, the, the best time to use that. But well, one call out on that, Jackie, I was um, on a call in the past couple of weeks with a couple other um, key opinion leaders in our field, and they were... Um, stating that they had some success post uh, gland clearing treatment. So whether that's IPL or ILUX or Lipiflow, that they were sending patients home with Tirvaya in hopes of continuing to stimulate meibomian gland um, through that um, parasympathetic nervous system. So that might be something you want to think about in your post IPL patients. I actually, the, the patient that I'm talking about from today was a post tear care patient and I had started her on, on Tirvaya also and to be honest with you, I can't remember why I even did that. To be honest, I don't remember why I did that. But that, that exactly is this patient. And she has had a positive response with Tirvaya. So that, that is a good, that's a good point and something to kind of think about for my future patients here too. So in short, Heather, we don't know. We don't know why we do what we do. <laughs> it's the art of medicine, right? <laughs> Sounds about right. Um, a side note is, I know we talked a little bit about this and we've had people talk to us about this, but Heather is trained as my study coordinator as well. So um, I may, I mean, maybe in secret before I did join the call, Heather said, I wish Dr. Odell would stop asking me to do something. <laughs> no, but she's so organized and wonderful that she's been a great study coordinator and we've done 
uh, we're in the midst of two different dry eye studies, um, and it's really kind of exciting. And patients really appreciate having access to treatments or medications that have yet to be FDA approved, or you know, in some cases, just having access to treatments that they actually get paid to be part of instead of having to pay for the treatment. So hopefully, um, hopefully, Heather, that's been a good stress, a good learning stress. <laughs> it has been because it is interesting to learn more and and to do something different even, which is what I said I wanted to do when we started this last journey together. So basically, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Leslie, way to be a classic boss and put a positive spin on giving someone else more work and stress. Great job. job. (laughs) Isn't that great, Heather, that you have this extra stress? Today was National Bosses Day and Heather gave me, along with the rest of the ladies that I work with, the most beautiful bouquet of flowers. So maybe it's not all terrible. That's so nice. It isn't terrible or I wouldn't show up every day. Um, all right. What other questions do you have? My next question is, I know Dr. Odell does this. I, I don't know if you do this or not, but occasionally we see patients who are on say restasis and they're doing it twice a day. And then the next time they come back, she's asked them to increase it to three or four times a day, or she might even add sequa to the restasis. So is there a rhyme or reason to that? And what is it that you're seeing in the patient that prompts you to make that change to increase the medication or to add a second drug to what they're already doing. So for me, I, you know, obviously off label for restasis to be QID, but because when you don't get access to CEQA, I, you know, I told Heather, it's one of our workarounds, right? If we can increase our restasis to four times a day, we are getting more medication on the eye. So that 0.05% is closer to the concentration of um, CEQA at 0.09%. That's my one you know, reason. And my hope is that maybe I can achieve uh, some symptom relief faster. I mean, obviously, we're always trying to make our patients feel better. Although the other thing I've coached Heather and all of our technicians to set is to not focus on symptoms, you know, and I've probably said it on one of these before, but I care about how they're feeling, but I don't care about how they're feeling until I see how they're doing. And so especially when we do a treatment, I don't want Heather or anybody that's bringing a patient back to lead with symptoms. Oh, you just finished up your IPL. How are you doing? Because in case they might not be where they want to be, you know, that makes that puts them in a corner and makes the conversation difficult. So the so anyway, that's kind of what I do with restasis. And then the add-ons, like you mentioned earlier, Jackie's just kind of nice now that we have these things that we can partner together and kind of achieve a synergy. So there's probably really no rhyme or reason to what we add second either. Um, and maybe with time studies will show us what which way is best. I, I have a, this brings up a question. How then do you um, work up the patient when you are not going to ask them how they're doing symptom wise, what are the, what well, are the, do. I was going to say we do, but you can choose to not focus on some things if you don't want to, like we do a speed on everybody. So we do a speed survey on everybody. Heather scores it. So she can also historically go back and see, Oh, this person's 22 today, but last time they were eight. Now I'm going to say, I don't know what you would say, Heather. What would you say? 
I'll go out, introduce myself, even if I've seen them before, just remind them who I am, that I'm going to take them back. And I'll usually, you know, how are you doing today? Just a general, but I'll take them into the room and I'll say, we're seeing you back for a two month follow-up. And when you were here last, we suggested that you start taking Restasis twice a day. So have you been using that? I'll ask about any other things that they're doing. Once I've documented all that, then I'll say to them, if you had to say one thing about your eyes right now, what would it be? And so then I'll just listen to what they have to say. I don't usually ask them, are you feeling better? Because I know that depending on the day, you know, or they may have already said to me, I'm so glad I came here today because my eyes are killing me. And if they're saying that, then I definitely don't want to add any more fuel to that fire. I'll just listen to what they have to say, document it so that then Dr. Odell knows exactly what's been happening since we saw them last. This is a good point. I think a lot of seeing uh, dry eye patients is coaching and reassuring and, um, you know, being like a cheerleader, like you're doing great. The corneas do actually look better. So I think that also, even if someone isn't feeling well and they actually are looking better, I think that actually does make them feel a little bit better to know that they're actually, you know, you know, objectively looking better to us. So you're right. That's a good point. I mean, it's, there is some, some cheerleading involved in, in caring for dry eye patients. So I think also part of the research that we did early on was around flares. And so Heather was part of a lot of um, phone calls to our patients trying to generate a flare questionnaire. Um, what we were working with um, Kala Pharmaceuticals at the time. And I think that those, those um, conversations you had with patients probably also really helped you see, you know, not only yourself living with dry eye, right, but listening to our patients talk about what might trigger them to feel worse. So then, you know, you can encourage that too. The dry eye doesn't stay the same and it isn't always in a perpetual state of getting better because we know that it flares. And it was surprising to see how many people actually could relate to that word flare. And that was their, initially that was the biggest thing was, you know, would people say, oh, I have this flare. And once you started using that term, then patients were like, well, yeah, I guess it would be like a flare. But that was really interesting for me because it was doing a Zoom call with a patient. Someone who was working with Kala was recording everything and I was asking the questions. The other person was just simply saying, you know, I'm here, we're going to record this and thanks for taking the time today. And we actually had one patient who actually got incredibly emotional and said, I've actually thought about ending my life because my eyes feel so bad. And I wasn't expecting to have her say that. And so I, I actually apologized to the woman who was doing the recording. And I was like, I just have to say a few things to her. Like I'm going off your script right now. <laughs> and so I told her about my story and I, you know, you just, your patients need to know that you're listening and that if you have been in that situation that you understand and you're working to get them to a better point. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a great point. It's, it's, it is a really debilitating disease and they, I do think, um, you know, 
for some, it is sort of a, you know, oh, it's just dry eye. It's not a big deal, but it, it really, it really is a big deal to patients and, and feeling heard by the patient is, is so critical. And so that's what I hope now with, um, you know, getting Heather to this role is more and more prevention, right? And I know like when we started talking two years ago or however long it's been, Jackie, with this, that's what I was saying. Like you said, how am I going to build my dry eye clinic? And I said, you already have it. <laughs> you already have what you need in the patients you see every day. And it's just kind of really we've all seen the patient that she's describing or some level of that anxiety ridden patient that, um, you know, just is getting no relief. And so when you see your patients that don't feel bad, but still have some kind of clinical finding, it's your job to educate them, spend the time to train somebody in your staff to educate them more if you don't have the time and then explain to them. And I say this all the time, I've seen the other side and I don't want you to get there. Like, so that's why we're taking the vested interest in you today. And then thankfully with the technologies, especially, you know, around medications, like we were talking about vitamins, like Heather mentioned. uh, uh, And then with now the treatments that we have, you know, in office for my gland dysfunction, we're in a really good place. And I also encourage patients all the time, you know, I let them know what's on the horizon. I'm sure you do too. You know, you have a lot of exposure to what's in the pipeline of different companies. And I always say like, and I've even started making notes in my chart, I'll put future considerations. I thought I was a genius last week when I figured this out. And I was like, I'm going to start putting that in my chart because if I say future consideration, ILUX, now whoever, you know, takes them from the waiting room can see I wanted that and start talking about, oh, you know, I've seen patients that have had that done and this has been the end result, or I've had that done myself and this is the end result. Or if it's a medication like Novalik or something, we can, we can know when that's going to be FDA approved, hopefully, and get ready for that patient. I call it next step in my chart note. I say next step. Yeah. Considerations way too long for me to type. Can't do it. Well, I maybe should have my scribe on next time and she might not have (laughs) as many nice things to say about me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do. I do want to hear from Heather's perspective. Like you are, are, have, you know, been in many, you know, roles in an optometry and an eye clinic in general. And, um, you know, let's, you know, for people that are wanting to build up their dry eye clinic and have a dry eye coordinator, how, what tips do you have for those doctors who want to do that to make that, to equip that technician with what they need to know to be effective um, in their job? Do you have tips for us? So I think the biggest thing, and we had the opportunity because we were building a practice from scratch is to educate your staff, all of your staff. And it was nice that we had time to sit down. We were trained by Dr. Odell. We had different companies and representatives come in and talk to us about masks, drops, things of that nature. So to give your staff as much information as possible, but make sure that you're open to them coming to you and asking questions when there is a question about, you know, well, why are we doing this or why are we changing to this treatment now? And I think the more, the more you can educate them, the better. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And before we sort of started recording, you said like, you know, explain the why behind your do why you're doing something. So if you are, you know, performing, you know, whatever treatment for maybe you're performing this for your doctor or the patient is asking, understanding the why behind, you know, why you're doing something. So you're right. Education is is key. Because patients do ask you, well, why are you doing this today? Well, did the doctor say that, that, that you're to do this? Like, maybe I should talk to him or her before you do this test. And nine times out of 10, if you say, well, when you were in last, this is what the doctor had made a note of. They wanted us to do when you return today, or even just we do osmolarity and inflammatory on all dry eye patients when they return. And even if I've done it to the patient five times before, I'm still going to sort of walk them through what it is that I'm doing just to remind them because it may have been a few months since we did that. And just to, you know, say, this is what I'm going to do. This is what it's going to tell Dr. Odell or Dr. Choi so that they can then explain to you what that means for you today. And I think that it's so important that people want to know the why and the comments back from, you know, having staff like Heather is, you know, she did such a good job of explaining what was going on throughout the process. And, you know, then by the time it gets to us, it's already, the journey's already begun. And then we're just feeding into that education for the patient. Um, And then the more that we see them back and it's really kind of fun, right? Like, I mean, it's really kind of fun to have a dry eye clinic because when you do it right, you actually make people feel better and you give them, you know, more comfortable eyes, more days where they don't remember they have eyes and they get excited to share that with us. So, you know, at the beginning, it's sort of a grind, but then as we work through it and we, you know, really make them understand that compliance, you know, in our office and at home is so critical and you start seeing them feel better. It's, I mean, hopefully that's why we're all doing it. It's so rewarding to make a difference for people. It is. It really is. Yeah. I think I have found that dry eye patients are some of the most engaged patients because it is something that they have to live with every day. So they definitely are on board with like, why? And they want to know the why. Why would I do this? Why should I do that? Okay, I'm going to do this. They're like, they're great historians. Usually I tried this therapy. I tried that. It didn't work. Like I had one today who had this whole list of things she had tried previously. And I'm like, man, these patients are the best because they definitely know their story. I don't have to wonder what pharmaceutical they were prescribed before. They don't know. They know. They know when they're engaged. And I, I like that patient. Great, Heather. Thank you so much for coming on. This was so nice to talk to you. I know Leslie gets to see you every day, but it's a it's a pleasure meeting you. And I'm glad uh, that you were able to take some time and talk with us today. Well, thanks for having me. And now for the To The Point wrap up. Remember when building out your dry eye clinic, your staff is one of your most valuable assets. Finding a staff member, a technician, a patient coordinator that shares your passion and desire to improve the quality of life for those you're treating with dry eye will go a long way. Who's your Heather in your practice? Find her, and then more importantly, make your practice why known throughout all your staff. Learning the why of dry eye keeps everyone motivated in improving outcomes.